may be seated. Uh, this week we're going to be taking a look as we march through uh, various psalms in the summer. Uh, psalm 118. And, and you might recall last week in Psalm 134, uh, we mentioned how it was, was kind of a responsive reading of sorts. Not, not the kind of responsive reading we might be used to, but one where the congregation spoke first and then the priest responded. Uh, this week we're going to do something with a, a more typical responsive reading as we look at Psalm 118. We see it where, where it was generally said or sung as an antiphonal psalm, one where the priest would say part of it and then the congregation would respond and then the, the priest would sing in the congregation or they, they would have perhaps two groups singing it where it'd be one group and then the other group, one group and then the other group. So, so today we're going to do something a little different, uh, just like I said at the beginning, right? When I kind of threw that curve at you at the beginning of our, our greeting and I asked you how you were doing, a little bit different than we normally do. Today we're going to do something a little bit different with our sermon text. Normally I'll ask you to rise and I will read it to you. Uh, but today what we're going to do is I'm going to ask you to rise and we're going to read it back and forth antiphonally. Um, this, th this text you'll see is printed in your bulletin, Psalm 118, and you'll see in it, part of it's printed normally, part of it's printed in bold, right? The normal part's the part I'm going to read, the bold part's the part you're going to read. So I'll ask you now if you're able to rise once more out of respect for God's holy and inspired word. And we read together Psalm 118. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Let Israel say, Let the house of Aaron say, let, the, let those who fear the Lord say, Out of my distress I called on the Lord. The Lord is on my side, I will not fear. The Lord is on my side, is my helper. It is better to take refuge in the Lord. It is better to take refuge in the Lord. All nations surrounded me. They surrounded me, surrounded me on every side. They surrounded me like bees. They went out like a fire among thorns. I was pushed hard so that I was falling. The Lord is my strength and my song. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord exalts. I shall not die, but I shall live. The Lord has disciplined me severely. Open to me the gates of righteousness. This is the gate of the Lord. I thank you that you have answered me. The stone that the builders rejected this is the Lord's doing. This is the day the Lord has made. Save us, we pray, O Lord. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has made his light to shine upon us. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. you are my God, I will oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Thus ends the reading of God's holy and inspired word, our only infallible rule for faith and practice. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. 
You may be seated. Would you pray once more with me? Our Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is given to us that we might know you. Thank you that you have given your children eyes to see and ears to hear, hearts to receive your truth. We pray that we might do that now. Speak to us. Wherever I am in the way, Lord, push me aside. Speak through your word to us and be glorified. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this psalm, Psalm 118, is actually part of a group of psalms, much as uh, we did the Songs of Ascent uh, the last few weeks leading up to this. This is part of a group of psalms from Psalm 113 to 118 that, that could be called uh, the praise psalms or the Hallel psalms or some called the Egyptian praise psalms. Uh, they, they're thus called not because they praise uh, anything of Egypt or in Egypt, but rather because they are specifically referring to God's deliverance of the people of God from Egypt and praising him for his good work of having done that. And it celebrates that. And so it was, uh, it was that these, these six uh, psalms were, were often sung as part of the Passover festival. It was, it was a regular part of Passover uh, practice in the Passover meal to sing these psalms that remembered the deliverance that God had provided. That, after all, is, is what the Passover celebrated so that it makes sense. In fact, it's on the night that Jesus was betrayed when he first celebrated the Lord's Supper with his disciples as they sat around in that upper room. They partook of that meal, and then we read in Mark 14, verse 26, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. It is highly likely that the hymn that they sang was the 118th Psalm, the last of these Hallel Psalms that celebrate the deliverance of God's people from Egypt. It's a psalm that's not just uh, dealing with the Passover, though. It is uh, a psalm that, that unmistakably is God-centered. Right? That's not to say it doesn't deal with human circumstances or apply to our lives. It certainly does. But the whole while, as it is doing that, it keeps God at the center of what is being said. In 29 verses, the phrase, the Lord is mentioned no fewer than 28 times, right? But it's not just that the Lord is mentioned as a phrase. There's the fact that it talks about the Lord. It says who he is and what he has done and what he will do. It describes the Lord to us. It tells us about the Lord. In verse 1 specifically, it tells us that he is good for his steadfast love endures forever. Now this is something that we know already, right? If, if we know but one psalm, it's probably the 23rd psalm, right? The one that tells us the Lord is our shepherd, right? And, and, and if you get to the end of that psalm in verse 6, what does it tell us but that surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life? And that word for goodness, the Hebrew word is, is tov. Uh, and and the uh, Hebrew word for mercy is chesed, which, which doesn't sound like a pretty word, but it actually speaks of the most beautiful thing of all. It, it's, it's not just mercy, it actually is often translated as steadfast love. Right? It's the, the covenantal love of God for his people. Unwavering, unchanging, solid and true. This steadfast love, in fact, in our verse today, that we just looked at there, the, stead, his, uh, the Lord is good, his steadfast love endures forever. Those same two words are the words that are used in that Psalm 23, 6, Tob and Chesed. Right? So we know this already. The Lord is good. And his steadfast love endures forever. That's who the Lord is. He's a Lord, a God of, of steadfast love, of unwavering faithfulness. He's one we can depend on, one that we can count on, one that we, no matter 
no matter how much we screw up, no matter how badly we fail, no matter how far from him we wander, we can count on his steadfast love for us. And that is why we see in this psalm a couple of calls. That's my first point, if you're keeping an outline. A couple of calls. And the first call is a call to worship. Right? Verse 1, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, his steadfast love endures forever. Four times in those first four verses, his steadfast love endures forever. Now the Bible condemns vain repetition. And, and it tells us that, that our prayers and I think our, our songs ought to not have just vain repetition that is just repeating over and over again for no reason. And yet, we see in the Psalms in particular cases where there is repetition, right? So, so there must be a sense in which this repetition isn't just repetition for the sake of repetition with, with no other reason behind it. It's not just that the, the psalmist is like, well, I've kind of run out of creativity here. I'll just say the same thing again, right? That's not the point of what's going on here. There is a purposeful, intentional repetition that's going on here. It's, it's perhaps even more seen in Psalm 136, where it's not just repeated four times that his steadfast love endures forever, but it's repeated 26 times his steadfast love endures forever. Why could it be that there is such repetition? Well, what's the sense that you get when somebody speaks to you and they repeat something over and over and over again and over and over and over again and over and over and over again? You get the point, right? You know, sometimes it, it, it might be when you have a little kid, you know, I, it's not always, but sometimes, you know, you know, hey, hey mom, I, I, I want to go to the park, 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 right? We, I want to go to the park, and, and it's like, ah, right? It, it feels like they're just going to go on forever saying, I want to go to the park, I want to go to the park, Right? You need to do something, otherwise it'll just go on forever and ever and ever. You get it? The steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. 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 Right? It's serving the point of what it's saying. It's a poetic technique that is that is reinforcing what it's communicating, right? It's like it will never end, right? Because we might say those words, but do we really believe those words? Do we know them to be true? Do we, do we know in our heart that his love will go on forever and ever and ever, no matter what we do, no matter what we say, no matter how badly we fail, no, how, no matter how many times we, we sin and stumble and fall? Even so, his steadfast love will endure forever. That's the point he's making here. And in fact, there's one more repetition that you may have noticed of that phrase that occurs in the very last sentence of the psalm. Right? So that the first verse and the 29th verse are identical. Right? Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever. The fancy seminary term for that is an inclusio, where something starts with one phrase and it ends with the exact same phrase. The idea is that everything in between kind of serves that phrase. It, it is filling that out. It's kind of bookends to the psalm, and everything inside of it is what those bookends signify. And what is being said is that whatever happens, whatever changes in our world, whether it be in us or in the world around us, in our circumstances or, or in us, whatever happens, the Lord will never change. His steadfast love will endure forever. Not because I am good, but because he is good. Not because I've memorized his word, but because his word is true. 
not because I've done lots of religious things or, or served him in some sort of way, but because it is his very nature and he is a God of steadfast love, I have his promise. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. This is the foundation of the psalm that we're looking at today. It's, it's the root cause of our worship. It is why we worship him. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. And it's not just a reminder to himself that the psalmist puts this here for. He's not just saying, okay, okay, remember this myself. Remember, the Lord is good. I need to remember that. No, he, he's, he's saying this here, not just to himself. He's saying it to others, right? We see that in verses 2 through 4, right? Let Israel say. Let the house of Aaron say. Let those who fear the Lord say. The steadfast, his steadfast love endures forever, right? But that call to worship, as he's calling others to worship, is not the only call we see here. I said we had a couple of calls. The second call is a call for help. A call for help. We are broken and fallen people, and we live in a broken and fallen world. As such, we will all the time be facing distressful situations. Sometimes they will be minor. Sometimes they will be life-threatening. Sometimes they will entail physical distress. Sometimes they will be mental or emotional distress. Sometimes they will be the fault of others. And sometimes we will have brought this distress upon ourselves. But regardless of their seriousness, regardless of their nature, regardless of their cause, what this shows us here is a perfect example of how we should respond. Out of my distress, we see in verse 5, I called on the Lord. This should be our holy Reflex. I heard somebody use that phrase last week, and I, I thought that was a beautiful phrase. Well, prayer should be our holy reflex, right? You know when you go to the doctor and you sit on the table and they take out that little hammer thing and they pop your knee and whoop, your leg kicks out and you can't help it, right? It's just your leg kicked out and I didn't even try to do that. It just happened, right? It's just, it's just natural. It's a reflex action. Prayer should be our holy reflex. Right? When, when we are distressed, when we are troubled, when we face tribulation and difficulty, we, we shouldn't first look inward for a solution. We shouldn't first say, woe is me. We shouldn't first uh, try, to, try to figure something out or, or, or do something about it. We should first call out to the Lord. Pray to the Lord. Seek Him. Seek His will. Give ourselves over to him. Indeed, there are steps we need to take. There are things we need to do. There are, there are actions. But let the first of those actions be turning to the Lord in prayer. What was the result for the psalmist? He says, out of my distress I called on the Lord. And the Lord answered me and set me free. That's one reason we can call on him. That's one reason that, that we call out to him. is because he's effective. Right? He can accomplish what he wants to accomplish. He is able. Right? We'll come back to that in a moment. It's not just a matter of knowing that he's able to help you, though. We have to know that he's willing to help you. Right? We have to know that he is for you. Verse 6, the Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look and triumph upon those who hate me. The psalmist is confident here that the Lord is on his side. Not only is the Lord sovereign over all things, but he's, he's on his side and so he can trust in him. He can call out to him, depend on him, and be sure that he will receive a favorable response. But can we be sure as well? Just because the psalmist is sure of this, can I be? Can, 
Can you be? Well, if you trust in Christ Jesus, then yes, you can. Right? Because, because if indeed you ever doubt that the Lord is for you, then all you need to do is look to the cross. Right? Just look to the cross. See the ends to which he would go to, to be for you. See how he would give up his own life for you. Greater love has no one than this, that he gives up his life for his friends. And Christ Jesus has called us friend. And he has laid down his life for us so that we might be saved, yes. But even beyond being saved, his death shows us the depth of his love, the depth of his commitment, the depth of his, of his steadfastness and his, his promise that he is for us. Oh, my brother and sister in Christ, the Lord is able and the Lord is most certainly for you. Some of you need to hear that today. right? Some of you perhaps woke up this morning, perhaps it's been going on for some time, but, but in your heart and, and in your thoughts, you just feel like, is God against me? Is God against me? Is he is, does, is he just against me? Is the whole world against me? Is everything against me? Has the Lord forsaken me? And I promise you here on the basis of the cross, on the basis of God's word, he is for you. Remember this. Be encouraged by this. Get excited about it. He is for you. And so the church can confidently say, Verse 8, it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. And it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. So often we look to the, the strategies and the schemes of the world. We, we look to the power structures and, and, and to, to government and to, to all the different strategies that, that might exist. But we have a better way. We have the Lord. Let us turn to the Lord. Let's seek the Lord. Let us walk in the Lord. Let us trust in the Lord. We've seen a couple of calls here, right? A, a call to worship and a call for help. But there's also a couple times when God is sovereign. You see, that's kind of our second set of two. A couple times when God is sovereign. The first of them is in the past, right? He talks about difficult situations past. Verse 10, all nations surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me, surrounded me on every side. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. They went out like a fire among thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. I was pushed hard so that I was falling. But the Lord helped me. The psalmist looks back to past situations. He sees how the Lord was faithful even in the midst of difficult, difficult times. He was faithful even in the midst of, of painful times. Too often we dwell on our hardships, on our obstacles, on our circumstances. What we should focus on is not them, but the Lord. Focus on him and his goodness. Remember how he has been good to us in the past. We would do well to remember that the Lord has always seen us through. Right? It doesn't mean that there won't be trials, that there won't be hardships, that there won't be very real pain. Oh, indeed there will be. But the Lord will see you through. He will give you the strength you need. He will show you the love that you require. And I love the metaphor that we see in verse 12. They surrounded me like bees, right? They, it's like, like they swarmed around me. I used to, as a kid, I had a phobia about bees. And I was just fearful that, that bees would just descend upon me and be all around me and surrounded. And that's kind of the picture here. These bees surrounded me. Our our trials can seem like that, can't they? They can seem like they're just pushing in on us and crowding in on us. And that they're very dangerous, right? Yeah, I mean, they, they can sting us and be painful. It's very real. And that's why he kind of talks about thorns here in a minute. They, they like a bee sting, can prick you, and, and it hurts, right? And, and you bleed, and, and it's painful. Well, what else is true of thorns? 
What else is true with thorns is this. Yes, they are painful if they prick you, but they burn really easily. And our God is a consuming fire. Right? And so what it says here, it says that, that they shrouded men like bees, but they went out or they were, they were extinguished like a fire among thorns. They, they were just burned up. They were consumed. Right? In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. I just saw this quote yesterday from Elizabeth Elliot. She said, the secret is Christ in me, not me in, diff- in a different set of circumstances. Right? So often, that's what we think. You know, Lord, you know, just, just remove me from this situation. Remove these circumstances from me. Remove this hardship from me. When oftentimes what we need to be saying is, Lord, teach me what you would teach me. Carry me through these circumstances. Be my strength. Give me endurance to, to last through this and be able to accomplish what you want to accomplish in me. Right? And that's why we need to remember how the Lord has been there in the past and even recite those things to others and to ourselves so that we might be uh, a, a reminder and an encouragement both to others and to ourselves to trust in the Lord at all times. It's that same formula we see in Psalm 116. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. Right? He's, he's sovereign He's been sovereign in the past in those difficult situations. But he's also, here's that second time when God is sovereign. He will be sovereign in difficult situations in the future. Right? Because he has been sovereign in the past, we can trust him to be sovereign in the future. That's why he says in verse 14, The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Exodus 15, Isaiah 12, two other places that use this phrase. The Lord is my strength and my song. What a beautiful way of saying this, right? He's my strength. He's the power by which I accomplish the things I need to accomplish. He's the one who will deliver me from difficulty. He's the one who will carry me through it. He's the one who will save me. He will be my salvation. But he's also my song. What does he mean by that? He says, he is my my reason for rejoicing. He is my my reason for celebrating, right? When, When we're singing a song, right, usually it's celebrating someone or something, right? A, a fight song in a college football game, right? You're celebrating the alma mater. Uh, happy birthday, we sing, right? We're celebrating the person who is the, the guest of honor or for he's a jolly good fellow. We're celebrating a person, right? Or here, as we gather and worship and sing, we're celebrating the Lord Jesus, right? May he be our song, our reason for celebrating Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous, he says. For instance, the right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord exalts. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The psalmist goes on to say, I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you answered me and have become my salvation. He is confident in his future salvation because of what's happened in the past. Sometimes it feels like the Lord has left us, but he is not. He is with us. We can depend upon him. We can count on him to be there in the future. Finally, we have a couple things concerning the gospel, right? The first thing is a gospel proclamation, right? Just a proclamation of the gospel of what Christ has done for us, right? Verse 22, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. If you're familiar with the New Testament, perhaps you've heard this passage before. Acts chapter for Peter and John are brought before the council. Why? Because they're healing in Jesus' name. They're proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom of Christ Jesus. And they're told to stop. Stop doing this. And they say that we can't stop doing it. Because we're, we're proclaiming in the name of Christ Jesus. This Jesus 
is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, they say, which has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. They say there is no salvation apart from Christ Jesus. That is what they're saying here. He is the cornerstone upon which all must be built. Right? He said that they had, the leaders of Israel, had, had cast him off as a, a stone that was not fit for building. But they're saying you made a foolish mistake there. Because whatever we build, if it is to be sound, it must be built on him and on him alone. For he has died for all our sins, and there is no salvation apart from him. So we must believe in him. That's why he says this is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. It's not our own doing. We don't accomplish our own salvation. It is the Lord who does it. He does it and he, he even grants us the faith to believe in him, to trust in him, that we might be saved. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it because it is the day of our salvation if we believe in him. And they say, save us, we pray. O Lord, O Lord, we pray. Give us success. It's the very verse that is sung out by the crowds in Matthew 21.9. The crowds went before him, this is on Palm Sunday, shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. That's what we see right here. Verse 27 tells us the Lord is God. He has made his light to shine upon us. Right? The people were waving their palms on that Palm Sunday, ushering in this king who would be their Messiah, who would be their ruler. They're crying out the words of this very psalm we look at today. But you see what the next words are? Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. You know that it was Jesus who became that sacrifice. It was Jesus who was bound to the cross which became the altar of sacrifice. It was Jesus who truly was, as John the Baptist put it, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So believe in him. That is the proclamation that is being made here. That gospel proclamation is believe in Christ Jesus and no salvation. But the second thing about the gospel is a gospel response. You are my God. I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. Right? We, we respond to him, we respond in faith, but it doesn't just end there. It doesn't just end with us praying some prayer and okay, we're done. No, we respond in thanks. Not just saying thank you, but a life of thanksgiving. And I will extol you, I will praise you, not just on a Sunday morning, but in all of life, praising the Lord for his greatness, his goodness, his grace, and calling others to do the same. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. We respond by trusting in him. We respond by proclaiming our faith. We respond by coming to the table and partaking in faith, in experiencing his love, and ultimately going forth and serving him. But, but for now, it's the table. For now, it's, it's the table that he has given us, wherein we are reminded of his love. Right? That's essentially what the table proclaims to us. Right? He, he said, whatever you eat or drink, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. But as we said just a moment ago, greater love has no one than this. He laid down his life for his friends. You know that Jesus loved his disciples to the end. Jesus loved you to the end. His steadfast love truly endures forever. As we come to this table, it's a table not for holy people, not for perfect people, not for people who have gotten everything all figured out. It's a table for the Lord's people. It's a table for those who trust in him. 
If you don't trust in the Lord, then I would urge you to refrain from partaking uh, on the word of, of Scripture. But, but if you do belong to the Lord, he gives this to you. Don't refrain because you think you're not good enough. If it was only for those who are good, of, good enough, none of us would partake. It is actually given to us that we might have our faith strengthened. So if you feel weak in the faith, if you feel like, maybe I just don't trust in the Lord enough, you are the perfect person to partake of this meal. Just as a person who is, who is hungry, who is famished, who is weak, needs to eat to be nourished, to be strengthened, so too we need to eat and be nourished and be strengthened in the faith. And so this meal has been given to us by the Lord. But before we partake of the meal, it is our custom here at Calvary to proclaim our common faith in Christ Jesus. We do that in the words of the Apostles' Creed, which is printed in your bulletin. So would you join me now as we read these words together, not just reading them, but actually proclaiming them from the heart. Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we thank you for this sacred meal, this sacred meal which proclaims your steadfast love for us. So great is that love that you would even die for us. We thank you. We pray that you would indeed nourish our spirits, nourish our faith, strengthen us, and make us more like Christ Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. If the elders would come forward to serve now, please. How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all
trust in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer, but this I know with all my heart. His have paid my ransom. Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer, but this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom, but this In this meal, the Lord reminds us of his goodness. He reminds us of his grace. He reminds us that his steadfast love endures forever. And to those who trust in him, he says, Take, eat, this is my body. Taste and see that the Lord is good. sin to hide but you have sent him from your side to walk upon this guilty side and to become the lamb of God oh lamb of God sweet
As we mentioned just a few moments ago when they partook of the Lord's Supper on that first Maundy Thursday, uh, they concluded with the singing of a song. And so we will today as well. We've looked at Psalm 118 in depth. We're not going to conclude with that psalm. Instead, we're going to sing a song that I hope you're familiar with, a song that's very simple, very basic, but it carries with it the most wonderful of truths. Hymn number 478, Jesus Loves Me. If you're able, would you rise as we sing this hymn together?
now as you go, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all.